welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful bo- Book Club, Bot Club, Book Club Podcast. We're going to be a Bot Club Podcast before long, where we nice. talk about Russian bot farms. <laughs> but for now, we are a Book Club Podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, and I promise I'm sober. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Amanda. How's it going, Amanda? Great. Hello. I don't drink on Sunday afternoons. You know, that's the Lord's Day. <laughs> Not even for Sunday brunch? I keep my temple pure, you know, <laughs> try and offload all that difficult hard work on sat- onto Saturday evening, you know? Yeah, smart. We're smart. not here, though, to talk about my Sunday brunch <laughs> drinking or not drinking habits. We're not here also to discuss <laughs> mimosa ratios or if drinking tomato juice is gross, because I think it's gross. Oh, man, I love tomato juice. Yeah, I don't. I just never latched onto it. Bloody Marys are just repulsive to me, and I like <sighs> drinks that have meat sticks in it, or I feel like I should. <laughs> But just never connected with me. Just never connected oh. with me. And at any rate, we're the Lightly Literary <laughs> Podcast. We're here to recommend a book to you today. You have found and discovered a book recommendation episode, which, if you're a first-time listener, is the perfect place to start, because today we'll be taking about 30 minutes to try and persuade you to read a book with us over the course of the next two weeks. If you don't know anything about the show... We're here to recommend and then discuss works of literature. We pick a book and it takes two weeks to cover that book. And then we move on to the next one. We have social media accounts that we hope you follow on Instagram and Facebook at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. So check us out there for updates about what we're reading. There's some art on Instagram you can follow for just promote the work and talk about the books and everything. We have today a book that Amanda chose by Thomas E. Ricks called Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom, a title that I bungle on the episodes a couple times, but (laughs) that is the correct title. It is Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom. It is a kind of narrative, well, it's actually like a dual biography, nonfiction account, mostly about World War II. I'm going to let Amanda set up why she chose it, and then we'll read from the cover. Um, The way the, the book's selections works by the way is that i gave her a prompt and then she picked a book for that prompt so my prompt was a pretty simple one it's to pick a book you own but haven't yet read amanda why did you pick this one um i chose this one because um we were on like a kind of a non-fiction streak and i was like let's just keep it going why not <laughs> so i wanted to see something that was like non-fiction that i owned mm-hmm. and something that i thought would be interesting but also interesting for you and right. so i was interested in it for the orwell aspect and i thought that you would like it for the war history aspect because i know okay. your relationship um with war stuffs <laughs> yeah, i thought you were <laughs> hoping you, you would younger. stop there i was hoping you were just gonna say you have a relationship with war travis i would say <laughs> Just been, the war I've been general. waging a war against myself for decades now, so yeah, I feel like I'm a really embittered soldier. <laughs> uh, but yes, no, I did have a phase, especially in high school, and I think leading up to it a little bit, where I took in an awful lot of war media, movies, TV, books, just took a lot of it in. And then also didn't end up in the military in my life, so who knows what effect it had on me. <laughs> I think I saw Apocalypse Now too many times for that to take hold. Um, Yes, so at any rate, a bit of a dual biography here. It does have a lot to do with World War II and kind of the rise of fascism. And so this is from the back cover. I'm just going to read a quote for those of you who are unfamiliar with the book. We assume you are. By the late 1930s, democracy was discredited in many circles and authoritarian rulers were everywhere in the ascent. There were some who saw in Hitler and Mussolini men we could do business with, if not, in fact, saviors. And then so taken together in Thomas E. Ricks's masterful dual biography, their lives, these two men's lives, are a beautiful testament to the power of moral conviction and to the courage it can take to stay true to it. 
So it is sort of a book about, you know, governance, politics, and the World War II kind of shadow of fascism and how that affected these two people. So that's roughly a summary of it. Do you think we missed anything there, Amanda? I don't think so. Okay. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And again, we're here in the next about 25 minutes to try and persuade you to read with us. So stick around and we'll do our best to do that. We're going to start with rapid fire recommendations. This is a new segment. So if it goes terrible, you can blame me because <laughs> we we're, we got rid of an older segment and came up with this new one. So if it goes poorly, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. What we're going to do is I'm going to make a quick statement that will begin with, you'll like this book if, just to give you listeners a broad sense of what it's about and what the book kind of covers some of its interests and topics and then amanda will respond to that quickly and then she's going to rapid fire back another statement you'll like this if and we're each going to do five hopefully between the 10 of these descriptions you'll get like a vague sense or you know just like a general overall uh, overall sense of what the book covers its topics themes etc amanda are you ready for rapid fire i'm ready should i <laughs> nice you're like an american <laughs> gladiator <laughs> what would your american gladiator name be you think I don't know. Um, I would say... Sequoia Fire. It's got to be like a juxtaposition of two unlikely things. Or I guess that's just what juxtaposition is, but yeah. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Sequoia Fire. All right. Sequoia Sequoia Fire. I hope you're ready to Sequoia (laughs) rapid fire through these recommendations. I'll uh, I'll start since uh, this is my own devious invention. All right, so I think that you listeners, uh, the you in this, by the way, is you, the listener. So as always, we're, we're speaking directly to you. Um, I think you'll like this book if you enjoy reading about war strategy and war maneuvers. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I'm not one who normally really has ever read anything about war strategies, but the way that it's presented in this book is really well done and very interesting. Also of note, Thomas E. Ricks, his other works is um, he's like apparently a war journalist, a military journalist. Mm, So that's why he does it so well. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, And I said, you'll like this book if you like literary analysis. I think so too. I... So part of the segment, as it as we talked about before we started recording, is that I might not agree. I agree that it's in there. I think if you're like really deep into literary analysis and you know Orwell, I think some of it is a bit simplistic, but it's in there. And I think he does do some pretty fair-minded looks at the speeches and stuff. But no, I think, okay, that's an interesting descriptor. I would, I would half agree, half disagree. So I like it. Um, I think you'll like this book if you want to watch the British Empire rapidly collapse. Yeah, he does a good job with explaining that, and it's one of the elements that uh, he has so many elements in this book, and is one of the big elements of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will actually pile onto that kind of by saying, um, I think you'll like this if you are super proud of American military prowess. <laughs> he, yeah, he perhaps does pat America <laughs> on the back a little bit too much, uh, considering <laughs> the Russian sacrifice in the war. But I, you know, I'm not a military historian, so I'm just going to leave that be. <laughs> um, I think you'll like this book if you care about free speech. Mm-hmm. That's a huge premise of the book, actually. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say you'll like this book if you are curious about Churchill or Orwell's life, but don't want to go too much in depth with either. Yeah, I think it's telling that the book opens where he literally says, I'm about to do a biography of summary in like a chapter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, it's quite efficient and economical in that way, for sure. I think you'll like this book if you pretended to read 1984 in high school and now you're embarrassed when Orwell comes up in like casual conversation or people use language from 1984. 
Yes, I think that's great, especially I'll add on to that in a moment. But also, if you haven't read 1984, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> Probably hiding from English, you know, lit classes in high school that went poorly or whatever. Yeah. Just hiding. Good closet with readers out there. Um, and I'll, I'll pile on to that and I'll say um, you'll like this if you are wondering why Orwell is so, still so popular today. I love that chapter at the end. I yeah. I would almost wish more of the book was like that, but it's kind of a brief book too in its way. So yes, he does go, he does conclude by saying like, here's the legacy, which I liked. Yeah. I think you'll like this book if you enjoy, and this is my final one, if you enjoy the endeavors and musings of grumpy, but kind of insightful men. Mm-hmm. Grumpy is such a great word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially for Orwell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll say, um, I think that you'll like this book if you enjoy learning about the flaws and idiosyncrasies of great figures in history. Yeah, well said. Another, I think ours per, uh, pair perfectly together then. Because I would say idiosyncrasies yeah. is a fun way to think of it too, given, yeah, there's just some oddities that come up in here. I think good biographies do that. Okay. Any thoughts on the rapid fire recommendations, Amanda? No, that was fun. You comported yourself well, and I think it went well. So, you know, <laughs> it'll probably stick around in the future. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who's to say? But yeah, that's a good sense of kind of what the book covers. We're now going to do a segment we're keeping around, the reading similes. This is where we take a more prolonged comparison to something else. And so we're going to make a simile about what reading this book is like. I guess I'll start. I almost never start with this one. Put it on yeah. myself. Um, I say that reading this book is like sightseeing, but on the highway. So it's like, imagine you drive past, I don't know, like through a national forest or something, but a highway drive. I think Mm -hmm. there are attractive and alluring glimpses here. I think there's even some kind of wonders in here and some really true insights. But I I don't think the book dwells on anything long enough to, to... I don't know. It's never distracting or something. He never overstays his welcome with his um, analytical thoughts. So it's kind of like he's dedicated to this thesis, the overall journey. Really, it's the journey that's the point. It kind of moves at a clip and detours only for a couple of points that maybe that overstayed. But it, it is rather efficient. So it is like it's like sightseeing at high speed or something. I like that, and uh, it's it is definitely at high speed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it does yeah. move at a at a, a great speed. Not to say that it's underdeveloped or anything like that. There are some parts yeah, where yeah. I feel like he could have explained a little bit more, but that's just I think coming from my own ignorance, which I mm-hmm. was astounded at my own ignorance by the end of this. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually if as long as you go into it open headed and hearted, I think that's probably the best reaction to to nonfiction, right? Or one of the yeah. best potential reactions. I w- I would say so. Definitely it's flattering. For sure. Okay, and yeah. for your simile, Amanda, what are you thinking? I said uh, reading this is like playing chess as an adult with a serious player, um, especially because as a kid you play according to the rules, but you don't know the strategy or really get the game. Um, And then the first time you play as an adult and someone actually uses or even explains the strategy to you, you're in awe and you look at the game in a completely different way. Wow. Did, Did that happen to you? Did you ever play chess growing up? As a kid, like we had a, a, a chess set and yeah, I played with my dad, but like it mm-hmm. was, he taught me the moves and everything, but didn't teach me any actual strategy. His, his recommendation to me was you got to think two moves ahead. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I feel like moving this horsey over here. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> two moves ahead is a pretty, you know, he was trying to on, on ramp you or onboard you. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't say 10 moves, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I think it's a great point because it's – so did you feel – I don't know, between that and the comparison you said earlier, do you feel shame finishing this though? Do you feel enlightened, sh- ashamed? I don't know. What, what do you? How do you feel? Um, not not shame. I, I feel like he, he – uh, Rick did a really good job of like – including details that I had no idea about as far as like World War II. Yeah, um, I also yeah. didn't know anything about Orwell's life really. Um, and I, I knew of Churchill, but I didn't know much of his life either. So there was just so much information that I was just like, what even is going on? I had no idea about like the, the intricacies of like the communist struggle either. Like as far as yeah, yeah. the, the, in the infighting and stuff like that. So I was just like, what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. So there, I didn't really feel ashamed of not knowing because all the things that I already knew about World War II was taught to me in school. So really, high school and middle school, shame on you for not telling me more about communism. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but yeah, was, uh, I, I realize now like how little I actually really knew about the, the context of the war. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think he does connect it. Part of the Churchill section is pretty explicitly about connecting it to what happened to the world after World War II. So it it does it looks at the war and then also the effects in a pretty significant way. Yeah, they were they, they, obviously his. I would say the main topic of the book, really, other than the men, obviously, is like just fascism and then how that came up in Nazism and then how it continued in in the communist state cluster. So, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, no, I completely agree. And I remember actually quite distinctly in my life when I met a chess player who then he pulled out a chess book and was like, well, I've been reading this book. It'll like teach you how to play. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm never playing chess again. <laughs> <laughs> Up until that point, I was so happy playing. I think I even in like fourth or fifth grade, I was in the school's chess club or it might have just been like a board game after school club. But we played some chess. But I'll, I always remember that summertime. I was at a summer camp and a kid was there and, you know, he like brought a chess board, wanted to play with kids. And I, I was like, I'll play. I like chess. And yeah. And then he showed me, he's like, I've been reading these books. And I was like, oh God, no, I, <laughs> this is, there's a whole world out there. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I thought this was just like a charming amusement. You know, I didn't think this was like right. a sport or something. So, yeah. That it's so serious. <laughs> yeah. Respect to the chess players. You know, it's, I, oh yeah. Anyway, I'd like to do a, a tangent here about how chess isn't in the Olympics. I was talking with some friends last night about that, but we'll save that for a different, more, um, digression filled pod okay now that we've done some (laughs) intro material we're going to get to a scripted part of this this uh, recommendation where we've each written and pre-prepared a piece of writing trying to again recommend the book to you and talk to you about what it what it covers and what it's interested in amanda why don't you do your scripted pitch first on churchill and orwell sure i said this book is a myriad of nonfiction genres, part biography, part literary analysis, part historical analysis, and part contemporary social political analysis. You'll notice that that's a lot of analysis, but that doesn't mean that this book is a slog to get through. Quite the opposite. The writing moves along at a quick pace, and the language, while analytical, isn't overly academic. It's meant to be understandable, as Ricks is writing with a purpose, which he clearly states in the first chapter. There's a lot of interesting information here, and you'll learn a lot, or at least see a new perspective if you've already researched Churchill, Orwell, or World War II. Though this is a lar- this is largely steeped in history, Riggs makes it clear that Churchill and Orwell's legacies still affect the world today, especially in our understanding of personal freedom, which relates back to his thesis. Yeah, yeah. It's shall we do a current event connection to your 
solid um, recommendation there. There's a sure. there's a pretty hot freedom debate in the U.S. right now in regards to the coronavirus vaccine. So I think it's it is interesting as a book that you know deals with completely different historical issues, but does talk about moral conviction, um, what freedom should mean, and freedom from what. Mm-hmm. There's not a insignificant number of people in the U.S. right now that are defining their freedom in a very specific way. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm not even sure where this book would come down or where these men would come down. But I just, as far as like a connection, I don't know. It, it has a lot to say about freedom, I think, or at least one or two clear-eyed things to say, I suppose, about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good. Okay. Excellent. I'll jump in with my um, scripted pitch here. If the past, let's say, five to six years of Western civilization have shaken your confidence in the longtime political project of liberal democracy, say in like Britain with Brexit or in the U.S. with the presidential administration we had, um, and also Brazil, and I don't know, there's a lot of places having right-wing fascist movements. But anyway, uh, we've got a book for you, if that if that interests you. Fittingly enough, for our fractured political climate, um, this author, Thomas Ricks, has chosen two po- politically disparate figures, which is crucial. Churchill is an imperialist, or, well, the socialist, in order to make his case against totalitarian government and for a free democratic government with the foundations of individualism and free speech. So it's a pretty... I don't know. I feel like in the U.S. you get indoctrinated into that stuff anyway, but this is making the case for it, pretty clear-eyed. And while this dual biography is a bit lopsided in favor of Churchill, the thesis is ultimately pretty compelling. Unfortunately, I don't know if the book's overall style has much to recommend it, but I think Rick's is a pretty amiable, thoughtful guide through both of their lives. I'm not sure it jumped off the page, but it's, like, solid, and he writes well. I think that those that come to the book politically charged up will either kind of scoff at him or accept his even-handed, confident approach to analyzing the choices made by the men. I think he tries to both sides it with both of these guys. And so I ended up thinking, like, I didn't scoff at it. I just kind of shrugged and thought, okay, he's trying to be pretty fair. There are other joys to be found in the book, though, except a kind of a brisk social political argument. The brief sections on their childhoods are illuminating, and I thought, again, it's brief, but it's like really interesting. And they both had pretty ignominious starts to their careers, which is also always fun to learn about. Um, I think the literary analysis was a bit overly simplified, so if you put that aside, though, the narrative is a pleasing enough reminder of the difficulty of dissent and like the dangers of totalitarianism, which I think they both cover well. So that's my pitch. Yeah, I I think it's a um, good idea to point out that, yeah, Churchill was, Churchill and Orwell came from opposite ends of the political spectrum there, but they both had the same core beliefs, which um, I think allows for, I I think Riggs is kind of pointing out that there's still, people have the same core beliefs, ultimately, so that's where there should be, like, the starting conversation. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that it's... uh, it was a good read in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think that the literary analysis was there. I would have enjoyed, I really would have enjoyed more literary analysis, more in depth, which we talk about actually in one of the episodes, but Mm -hmm. yeah, overall very even handed is a good word. Um, He definitely uh, is not afraid to point out the flaws in either the men or the writing of the men. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think he, he holds them in reverence in that. I think he just believes that the foundational beliefs they had were right and they saw past differences enough to get that, to uphold it. But yeah. I don't know. I don't think he really reveres either of them totally or something. Right. Maybe maybe yeah. Orwell a, t- a touch more somehow. I know he, he like focuses on Churchill more. Maybe in the end, though, I'd, I'd have to do that a much heavier think on that. But I feel like almost he 
kind of admires Orwell a little bit more. But even then, I'm like up. In, it's up in the air. I don't think even that's that strong of a of a point or something. I think he definitely admires Orwell's writing more than Churchill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the end. And I'll, I'll say this on the literary analysis. I know it's come up now a couple of times on this recommendation. I think for most people, it will be interesting, an interesting little dabbling into, because he, he quotes from a lot of Orwell's stuff, kind of across yeah. his career, really. I, as someone who had to do a like a seminar on Orwell, I it all struck me as a little shallow. But again, I, I don't know. I'm pretty biased, and that's something I've like looked at before for you know at least you know half a year or whatever so mm-hmm. i think broadly speaking it will be both insightful and kind of entertaining and for most people like yeah most people didn't ro- read road to wigan pier and the almost to Catalonia and like i i've read all those so i i just think it's i think it's good and fine yeah i'll, I'll nitpick from my own perspective basically <laughs> leave my <laughs> nitpicks aside anyway All right, let's finish out with our final segment. This is the most kind of in-depth, so we've described the book at length now, hopefully. And now we're just going to give a quote to clarify the style, to talk about what, you know, reading the book is like, hopefully give you a feel for the book. Amanda, why don't you take it away this time as well? Give us your quote for clarification and talk us through it. Sure. Uh, This is from page 162. All these prejudices meant that the initial Anglo-American meetings were like many first dates, a heady mix of enthusiasm, ignorance, and fumbling awkwardness. Um, So I chose this quote because it's um, the British-American relationship takes up actually quite a big chunk. Yes of um the narrative here and it's interesting the way that it's depicted because as i mentioned before ricks is is very obviously like pro america especially like as far as like the military superiority um especially during world war ii (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so i found that interesting but it also is like um kind of a throw to another idea of like the british um, empires kind of decline as a major, as the major superpower, um, Western superpower. Right. So that was interesting. And then I also wanted to use this quote because it kind of highlights the way that Ricks can infuse some of his like humor into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Some of the yeah. things that, he, yeah, he can be quite funny at times. Um, so I liked the metaphor here and it also shows um that this metaphor also ties back to a speech that Churchill made. So it's very purposeful too. the, right. uh, the metaphor that Ricks uses because Churchill in one of his speeches um, in order to get America involved in the war and to like uh, show that America and England like had a common enemy. He refers to like the way that he describes it in, in his speech is to kind of describe it as a marriage. So I right. thought that was very cleverly done. It's a good quote to show that too, and I think that well, that quote also shows. And I mentioned him being kind of an amiable, thoughtful guy, but I I still yeah. don't think he jumps off the page. But you know, that's part of the charm of the book too. It's just right. he's just playful, or you know, he he'll just jump in enough to guide you and kind of remind you that he's there. I remember I thought he was British in the first episode for sure, just because he has this wit about him. It's kind of a dry mm-hmm. commentary at times, but he's, he's an American, but I, I just, for some reason it felt very British to me, the narration. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but yeah, no, I think that's great to show that. Okay. Any other thoughts on your quote? It's a good one. Uh, nope. Okay. And the, yeah, the motifs too. I think you pointed out. That's a good one too. All right. My, my quotes early from page 11. So I'm going to jump in here. Um, Rick says, 
George Orwell once asserted, good prose is like a window pane, but if Churchill's prose were a window, it would be stained glass glowing at the end of a cathedral's transept. His writing could be ornate at times, even gaudy, but he knew what he was doing. He was intoxicated by language, reveling in the nuances of sounds of words. He likes to use four or five words, all with the same meaning as an old man shows you his orchids, not to show them off, but just because he loves them, observed his wartime doctor, Charles Wilson. And then later... He basically talks about how Churchill was an autodidact and he would, quote, proceed through life intensely confident of what he knew and happily ignorant of what he did not. He knew what he knew, but there were vast amounts of literature he never read or seemed to be aware of and kind of goes on. So a couple things in this quote that I think is important. First, he digs up a really funny, insightful quote, like the commentary in the quote he found from the doctor is almost better than his own writing in, in a way or something like I feel like in all the history we've read. The style is just present enough to be a nice guiding kind of voice, but the quotes they find are better, and that's the, kind of the point. It's like you're never going right. to find something better than the original article or more interesting than the original firsthand account of it or something. So it's they got to dab, kind of throw that in there at the right moments. I think Riggs does. Like I think this book just kind of flows really smoothly because he's giving you enough of like the first person stuff to to get it going um he also kind of uses george orwell and churchill against each other there uses one to contrast with the other kind of a thing and those are that's a pretty subtle and kind of sly rhetorical move and i just think he does things like that pretty well compares them well um against each other and then the other final thing i'd say is he's critical of churchill there but kind of like in a pretty open honest way not he doesn't overstay the criticism it's not like he's brutal to churchill but he he's again i think trying to stay very even-minded about this and trying to be pretty fair quote unquote to him and i think his criticisms always feel like that in the book so yeah i don't think that he is um as far as pointing out the flaws and stuff like that he doesn't sit there and like brood on it he mentions it and he moves on and sometimes he'll like throw in a a funny little anecdote to like highlight it but it's it's meant to be more lighthearted rather than just like right this guy was a terrible person he was an alcoholic and Mm -hmm. (laughs) stuff so for sure yeah and and I, i i do think that he did a really great job with finding some of those quotes like that orchid quote i mean like just wow well done yeah 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 it's he does a great job with finding um other people's opinions of both Churchill and Orwell, actually. He does some of that with Orwell's as well. So, 100%. I don't, and yeah. something you just said, hit, I don't know why this came to, like, brought something to the forefront of my mind, but he really doesn't dwell on their personal lives too much, whether those were mm-hmm. failings or successes, like in terms of family relationships, that kind of thing. It, it right. really is career focused, you know, and it's focused on their achievements in, in career, in the career sense. So, don't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say come in expecting a ton of personal revelations, though he, he's happy to throw some in, but it's not, it's yeah. really just not the focus to evaluate them as sort of like moral people. The morals are in so far as their political beliefs were concerned. Right. So, okay. Any other thoughts on Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom by Thomas E. Ricks? Because that brings us to the end, Amanda. That's it for me. Excellent. Yeah, I think we did our diligence here. Hopefully you, the listener, have been persuaded to read with us. But if not, we understand we'll be back at it again in two weeks to try and (laughs) convince you to come along for another journey. We have other books in order chosen, and I'm just going to read them off now. So if this one doesn't interest you, you can come check on us again soon and see what we're reading. Um, The next book we're going to be doing is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, the comedian Trevor Noah. You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker, which is short story collection, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So back to some fiction. Then that we did a lot of nonfiction in a row, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. We really did. Unusual for us. But that's okay. We're out of our comfort zone. And then <laughs> after that is my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris, which is a graphic novel, and that'll be the first graphic novel we have done on the pod so far. So check in for that one. Um, Amanda, any final thoughts on t- today's book? Um, just that our first episode is going to cover chapters one through eight, and the second Excellent. book club episode will begin with chapter nine. Wonderful. You're now the official kind of like scorekeeper on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reminding them. Yes. So we'll be episode one, which will be up on Friday when, when you're if you're listening to this on a Monday anyway, but it'll be up in the feed and that's one through eight. Excellent. Okay. Thanks as always for joining me, Amanda and listeners. Thank you for listening and recommending and etc. And as always, we'll see you between the pages. 